Hello, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., as in Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. Today is Tuesday, September 29th, 2020, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story, eight. We will be reading and commenting on the third paragraph, which begins with near the end of and ends with before daylight. Today's readers are Lindsay W., Alice G., Ginger C., Nancy P., and Craig F. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, September 28th, 2020, are 15,438 for the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. That's 15438. And 15,440 for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. That's 15440. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lindsay W. to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning. This is Lindsay W., a recovered compulsive overeater in Houston, Texas. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we had admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, 
continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. I pass. Thank you, Lindsay W. I will now ask Alice G. to read the OA-12 tradition. Good morning. Alice G., Recovering Compulsive Overeater in Wisconsin, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to serve, Pass. Thank you, Alice G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book and we are in chapter one, Bill's story. On page eight, we will be reading and commenting on the third paragraph, which begins with near the end of and ends with before daylight. 
I will now ask Ginger C. to go ahead and read that for us. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you so much for your service. This is Ginger C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through the next day and the next night. Oops, reverse that. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. Wow, this is this is pain, people. This is Bill's bottom. And I just love how God gives you the perfect paragraph. Um you know, this this was absolutely my reality in the bottom of my eating. And I only know Bill's story through my food. I would never have related to this chapter the way I do uh, with my booze. So I'm grateful for this food nightmare that I had to walk for so many days because, again, you can't transmit what you don't have. We only have our experiences. And these these words really hit hard. and um, And I get Bill having to hide that bottle at the head of his bed. I mean, how dark it is before the dawn and what a master I had become to food, had no idea. And truly at 24 years of sobriety, I felt like I had been drinking vodka because of how I was passing out, blacking out, couldn't get out of bed. All the wrappers all around me, and this was my nightmare. This is where I was living and this is what I was doing. And like Bill, concealed around the house, like these lemon heads, I still, years after putting the food down, would find these in these drawers. But they were my vodka, and I could not pee out without lemon heads. They were in the car. They were in the uh, glove box. They were in the nightstand. They were under the sink. They were everywhere. And my reality for the bottom that this food had to take me to before I could concede to my innermost self that I was a real compulsive overeater and what was I going to do about it was every morning, every morning before the feet would even hit the floor, I would slowly hold and open that drawer, that nightstand drawer, and have to take like a shot of my poison to even get out of bed, these lemon heads. And I just prayed and prayed that my husband would not see me. And it's so crazy how this God works. Because in Virginia Beach, I was so afraid not to get to that meeting. The first morning I had woken up after months of doing that behavior, all I did was go to the bathroom and brush my teeth and walk out the door. And I did not go to the nightstand drawer. I did not get that box of lemon heads. I had them. I had them in my backpack. Believe me, it was filled, filled with all my binge buddies. So, again, we just don't know how this mysterious, miraculous power is working. But i got to be awake. i got to be out of the food. And I just have to stay close and connected because it's always there. And it's fantastic. And it's amazing what can happen. This morning to you, I'm reading from my son's Alcoholics Anonymous book. My son who almost died in March. And today he's sober and clean by this grace. And thank God my light was on, and thank God I wasn't numb in the food to help this child of mine to love him, not fix him, but to walk with him and need him by his side. So we have work, people. We have work to do, and I can't do it if I'm eating. 
And I can't do it if I'm disconnected, and I really can't do it if I have that third step problem thinking way too much about ginger. What I'm about to lose, what I might not get, that me problem. So we never forget the pain of what it was like, what that bottom that brought you in, that gift of desperation, that window that rolled down. We never forget that pain and that incomprehensible demoralization. And believe it or not, there's a bottom below the bottom you know. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Ginger C., for reading and getting us started with your share. Now, although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your sharing to every third day in order that others might share their experience, too. So if you would like to share on the third paragraph on page eight in the big book, please press star one to unmute and state your first name and last initial. Lauren A. Lauren Teresa B. Teresa, is it B, did you say? P as in boy. Oh, P, thank you. You don't want me to start calling on you, do you? Christina J. Oh, Christina J. Thank you. Maya K. Maya K. Yes. Thank you. Craig F. Craig F. Okay, why don't we go with the five of you? Lauren A., Teresa P., Christina J., Maya K., and Craig F unless someone else was just about to give their name, you could add it in. Anita L. Anita L. I knew you might be out there, someone, Anita. So, Lauren A., go right ahead. Good morning. This is Lauren A. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but I've muted. Sorry about that. Go right ahead, Lauren A. Okay. Um. Um, This is Lauren A. Recovered in Minnesota, and I hope my phone is working better than the last time I tried to get on the line. Um, And I was having phone troubles for months while my husband and I were moving up here, so I haven't been on the meeting for a long time, and I'm really glad to be back on and hearing everybody and being heard. Um, You know, I before I got into a vision for you, I had been in OA for something like 30 years, but in and out and never in recovery, sometimes in abstinence, but never true recovery till I got to a vision for you. But what I did is I kind of did what Bill did. I went for it. I was eating everything in sight and just not, uh, was like no tomorrow eating. And finally I, I got to this, this wonderful meeting and I'm very grateful. And I really didn't hide food, but I would hide my eating. I would do things like, if my husband and I needed something from the store, I would volunteer. I'll go to the store, and that wasn't like me. It was always like, oh, you go. I don't want to go. Well, I would go to get something that was actually a good thing for both of us to eat, and I would buy a bunch of other garbage and eat it on the way home. And, you know, that was my way of hiding. 
and I'm I'm so grateful to be listening and and reading this chapter again because I have to keep reminding myself who I really am. Because if I don't come to these meetings, I'm going to think I'm one of the other people that can safely eat uh, sugar or flour or you know numerous other uh, foods and behaviors that just don't work for me. So I have to remember who I am and where I came from, and I'm grateful uh, to be able to do that. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren A. Teresa P. Hi, I'm Teresa P. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm going to assume you called me. I was in the process of unmuting. I did, and Teresa P. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I just love the, the big book uh, because it just doesn't pull any punches. It just tells it like it is. And I need to hear that because this is a killer disease, you know, and I like to go off into fantasy land. It's not really happening. You know, it's not that bad, you know, but it is. And it was. And I knew it. I knew it for years. I called myself the walking dead for years. And it just I just wanted to be dead. Please just don't, well, you know, don't let me wake up. I mean, I have a, a husband. I have four kids. And they were younger, and you know, and but life was too painful. This disease just, you know, sucks everything up. But I was, I was still eating, you know. And I am here to tell you uh, about that trap door. There's always a bottom. I mean, one thing that never goes is the pain. I mean, the happiness goes, the um, the joy out of life goes, but the pain stays and does get worse. And you know, I, I remember um, every day I would, well, not every day, but a lot of days, I, I knew I couldn't eat bologna sandwiches because I'd get a stomach ache. But every day I'd come home and mm-hmm. I'd eat another bologna sandwich. Why? Because I loved yeah, bologna yeah, sandwiches. Yeah. I loved the way they tasted. And, of course, I got the pain and I'd be in aching. And I, I was at the point where, you know, pain 24-7. And talking like in slow motion, it was so insane. And trying so hard and praying, and I still remember the day before I ended up at my first OA meeting, and it was almost well, mistake because I got it on the sixth, but it was the fourth of July, and there was those, uh, you know, some more, you know, and and you know, and it wasn't helping, you know, it wasn't, you know, what am I going to do, and. You know, I'm so sorry, but is, is there another person speaking someplace? It's. Teresa B., sorry for the interruption. There is some background noise, which I can't control. And Do you like it? Did you talk? I'm hearing you. It, you, please feel free to continue. I'm sorry you had an interruption. Uh, well, well, thank you for uh, trying to fix that. I appreciate that. And and, uh, and but you know this this bottom this and, and I was there. Like I said, it always it, it always gets lower. It always gets worse. But the good news is is that recovery always gets better. What I get to do is just, you know, it's just amazing. Uh, I just get to keep coming back. 
And, you know, I get to realize that no matter what is happening, God is always in charge. He always has my back. He always wants everything good for me. And what I get to do is just to, you know, keep working the program because that is my path to God. You know, I've done religion for years. It's wonderful. I still love my religion. But my my path to God is through the 12 steps and especially through this vision for you because it takes me back to the original source, the big book, which gives me the answer. And all I need to do is one more time. I love what Charles says is every night at midnight, it turned back into a pumpkin. And it's so true. And, uh, you know, every day I just get to do another meeting, you know, do my prayer and meditation, do my 10, 11, 12, and, you know, hop on the recovery train. So thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Teresa P. And I'm sorry you had some interference, but it seems as though it has been cleared up. In time for Christina J. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Um, yeah, my husband was at work. He worked in the afternoons, and that was my time. Um, But it really wasn't my only time. I would go to meetings and uh, go after the meetings and get food. You know, there was just no time. And my fear while I was in the binge was I could never get enough, and I was afraid I wouldn't have enough to keep going. So I would buy huge amounts of food like many of us probably have and just just I'd make sure I'd have every kind of flavor, every kind of chip, every kind of ice cream, every kind of cookie, every kind of candy, and just, you know, have a basket full. And uh, then I would go to it on the way home and then at home, and then I'd get sick of myself. I, You know, the reality of the binge would hit. And I'd start throwing shit away or, you know, uh, the disease would have me put it in places like the trash that I could go back later and get it because inevitably the allergy um, would want more. And so this paragraph, this bottom for Bill, my bottoms went on and on and on and on um, until about two and a half months ago when I finally reached a place of complete and utter powerlessness, my final bottom, I hope, with daily reprieve one day at a time and God working in my life. Uh, Today I have a neutrality that I have never had before, even during my so-called abstinent periods in vision, Um, playing with my abstinent foods and not doing uh, the 10 and 11 steps and connecting to God. I thought I was, but I wasn't. Because I have a brain that's insane and wants to keep chatting and doesn't want me to settle down when I get up in the morning for meditation and prayer and talking to God. It wants to get going on the day. It's already at work thinking about what I have to do. This morning I had a challenge. Somebody emailed me about their paycheck, and they're upset about it. And my gut went into fear and all this, and I sat and talked to God about it, and I am finally settled down. But anyway, back to this. Um, I would hide things everywhere, under the seat, in the fridge, under under lettuce. Um, You know, just and then when we were on tour, I would buy from the candy machine and stuff it in my pockets, and everybody in the car and me secretly sneaking uh, peanuts in a, you know, M&M peanuts into my mouth chewing so no one would see me in the corner of the van or the corner of the car. It went on and on and on. It's horrible. It's horror to think back on it. And um, so we don't have to do this anymore. We don't have to do this anymore. There is recovery in this book, and there's a willingness that must come to surrender, to just let go, 
to do the work. There's some kind of magic in just doing the work. It seems silly. Oh, I just make calls, read the book, uh, put your food down, work a food plan, you know, um, do all the things, and it just happens. I don't know how to explain it, except we're replacing one horrible, horrible habit that never fulfills our hearts and souls with another new set of habits, a program for life that works, and uh, jump on this train and get going because it will work. And just do it. That's it. It works if you work it. Love you all. Oh, thanks, Christina J. Maya K. Hi, I'm Maya K. Multiple Reader. Um, I just wanted to um, share today um, because I've been having trouble and I've I've been in OA for a long time and um, been listening to Vision and. Um, it seems like such a strong program and I relate to this um, paragraph very much. Um, I've been at that bottom uh, of just not being able to stop and, you know, um, wanting to end it all. And I haven't had sugar or flour and haven't been bulimic for years, for almost for 20 years and I have a lot of recovery, but I just feel like I'm reaching another bottom or I'm playing with my my abstinence. And it's funny, this this paragraph, in some ways I don't relate to it because I never hid my food. I was always surrounded by people who were overeaters and wanted me to eat with them, including my, my current fiancé who's just like, oh, just eat, you know. And um, so it's it's been a challenge. Um you know, because I love him, and uh, I just feel like, uh, you know, I, I just, he doesn't make a big deal out of it when I feel sloppy, and it is a big deal to me, and um, I'm just feeling frustrated about it, and no, I need to do more work, um, and Vision definitely does, um, seems to have more tools, and like a way of doing things that I, I really like. But um, anyway, I just needed to share and plug in because I'm, I'm feeling this that hopelessness again, playing around with my abstinence. Um, and, uh, you know, I know. I know what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. And I know, you know, when I'm messing around and pushing my limits and... Uh, being sloppy and feeling gross, like in my body and, um, you know, and just looking in the mirror and, and seeing something, I don't know if it's there or not, you know, just distorted everything and, um, whatever. So that's where I'm at. And, uh, just not wanting to do the work. So I'm just praying for the willingness to, to work this program in the way God wants me to, because I just don't feel like I'm, I don't feel recovered. I don't feel like I'm working my recovery. And even though I call my sponsor every day, I'm just, something's off. And um, and I know that hopelessness, and, and I don't want to be there anymore. So I guess that's that's all I wanted to share. But, um, um, I, you know, this just uh, the way things are right now, it's just, uh, I guess it's just the fear. There's that fear that I just want right. removed. So thanks for letting me share. 
Thank you, Maya K. Craig F. Craig, are you there? We don't hear you. Yeah, I got muted again somehow. Oh, Can you hear me now? I do. Yes. Good. Go right ahead. Okay, good. This is an interesting paragraph to me. Um, it is uh, uh, meant for us, of course, to identify with, and, and like all of Bill's story, and uh, we look for things that we agree with. And, you know, um, I, I didn't necessarily eat like Bill drank. In this regard, I didn't have food hidden around, but I certainly snuck my eating, and uh, I wanted to know where that next uh, binge was going to come from when I when I wanted it, and uh, that uh, that meant uh, taking a lot of precautions, and it meant some uh, road trips in the middle of the night and and that sort of thing. I I was remembering a story I read about war orphans in London, um, and uh, you know the, most of them had gone after World War II. They'd gone through uh, deprivation during the war. Had not had uh, enough to eat uh, if at all, and and pretty traumatic. And and uh, they uh, they wouldn't go to sleep at night. They couldn't go to sleep and. Uh, uh, they were always worried about their next meal, and and uh, the uh, people that were taking care of them found that if they gave these kids a slice of bread and put it on their nightstand at night so they knew that there would be something to eat when they woke up, that they could go to sleep, that they they could uh, let go of it and, and go to sleep. And, and you know, uh, what, what that t- talks to me about is um, my... Uh, is the ability to to uh, to to let go and uh, to um, I, I want comfort. Uh, I don't want to be stressed in any way, and I'll go to great lengths to uh, avoid conflict and avoid stress to to not feel uh, to not feel any kind of pain, and and that includes that that always included hiding my food. When I got in here, it, it, I wanted a softer, easier way. I wanted a, an abstinence that uh, didn't uh, that didn't stress me. You know, uh, I thought that if I had this God-given abstinence, that it wouldn't it wouldn't require any effort on my part, which isn't true. Um, you know, I wanted uh, my uh, inventory and my restitution to be uh, painless, to be effortless. I wanted, I wanted God to be in the middle of it to the extent that it didn't, it didn't hurt, you know, and uh, I, I wanted that spiritual way of life not to require sacrifice on my part. And, uh, and none of that was true. You know, the more I spent, more time I spent uh, trying to, uh, to avoid the strain and the, and, and the pain, um, the less recovered I became. And, 
you know, but when I accept the fact that that this way of life is going to require effort on my part and it's going to require being uncomfortable, uh, the the more uh, I go into action, regardless of the discomfort, the more uh, the more recovered I become. And uh, so that's what I see in this paragraph. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Craig F. Anita L. And then we'll take more names. Did you call me, Rebecca? It's Anita. I did. Anita, as long as you're giving me a chance to chime in, before you share, why don't I let the people who got on late know what was read? And that was the third paragraph on page eight in the big book near the end of Through Before Daylight. Thanks, Anita. Go right ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Anita Elf. I'm outside of Philadelphia. Uh, When there was a long silence there, um, I felt like I needed to take action and and put my name in because I had just read from another 12-step program in the meditation book that I need to give service and share my recovery. So uh, I'm taking a risk by by calling in and and sharing with you. I can so relate to like every single sentence in this paragraph. I can relate to the whole book. I'll stick to this paragraph, though. Um, With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough food concealed around and hidden, mainly in my bedroom. So right there, a certain satisfaction. I mean, I had comfort knowing that either that day or maybe even the day before, I bought enough food to my stash that it was hidden in different places just in case, which I'm sure never happened, my husband would find it, uh, I knew that I would have my fix, and that's what it was, and mostly sugar products, so that I could get that ultimate high, because I would need it, I would need it, because my disease is so progressive, and um, my husband used to fall asleep really early when he worked, he's now retired. But he would go to sleep very early. And so I had the freedom to go in my bedroom and just eat to my heart's content. And um, and then here I wondered whether I dare hide a full bottle of gin near the head of my bed. I would need it before daylight. So um, there it is, you know, needing it. Because I didn't have a choice anymore. I was powerless. I was a prisoner. I was, food was my master. Food was my master. And I didn't know how to get out. I just, I mean, I did know. I knew surrender. I knew I needed to ask my higher power in all my desperation to please help me this time. Just please help me. And my higher power trusts and has enough 
faith in me that my higher power loved me enough to take me out of that relapse and brought me to a place beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Anita L. Well, it's time to take more names, and I have room for six people. Kelly G. Wait, wait, wait. After Kelly G, someone with an L. Who was with the Laura L? L. Anita J. Nancy P. Pamela V. Oh, I'm not hearing everybody. Um, Did you get Nancy P? I heard Nancy P, and then I didn't get anybody after that. Pam. Anita, I have you. Pam, what's your last initial? S, like Sam. S, like Sam. Got it. Okay, and who came after Pam, if you remember? (laughs) Julie? Hi, this is Julie. Julie. Can you hear me? Hi. Yes, your initial, Julie? Uh, A, thank you. Okay, here's who I heard. And I did hear some others, but I didn't get their names written down. Kelly G, Laura L, Anita J, Nancy P, Pam S, and Julie A. Kelly G, go right ahead. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everybody. I so relate to this paragraph and two different fronts, so I'll address both. But the first one I want to say is in terms of hiding the food, I would go to the grocery store with my mom with a big purse, and I would shove binge foods, the free cookies by the bakery, everything I could grab into my purse. And I would look to see where the cameras were in the grocery store and pray to God that nobody's watching me in that aisle. And I remember checking out with my mom at the, at the register and just so paranoid that the manager was going to be like, excuse me, ma'am, um, can you open that purse of yours? And it never happened. Later on, I went back and made amends. But, um, you know, when I would get home, my mom would be making dinner and I would shove all the food from my purse in my night table drawer, in my bathroom drawers. I knew on the bottom cabinet in the kitchen, she had some desserts. I knew in the pantry where they were. I knew in the freezer where they were. I had it down like clockwork. Um, in college, in my lecture hall, uh, it was hundreds of people in this lecture. And I remember I had you know, crinkly bags in my purse that I would reach into. And I remember chewing. And I remember my my professor announcing, saying in front of everyone, excuse me, Kelly, would you mind uh, not eating in class? And I was absolutely mortified. So what did I do? I left. I bought more food. Um, I had backstock on backstock on backstock. Um, I still do that today, you know, what abstinent. I want to make sure I have what I need. There is this comfort that I feel with knowing that I have what I need. Um, but it was miserable. You know, when people go to hotel rooms or hotels, they say, okay, I just want to make sure where the emergency exit are. I want to know where the vending machine is. Show me where the vending machine is because in the middle of the night, if I need to eat, I need to know that I can get food immediately. It has, where's the nearest gas station? You know, it's, it's normal people say, how far is the beach from this hotel? Or where's the pool? Where's the fitness center? No, me, where's the vending machine? Um, 
later on to recovery, you know, other things crop up, right? So we peel the onion back and I realize, okay, if I can't eat, I'm going to chew gum. So I chewed about 13 packs of gum a day, and that's where also the hiding came in. I hid gum in my car, in my drawer, in my pencil case, in my pocketbook, in my bed, in my pillowcase. I would wake up with ruined sheets because the gum was stuck to them. My pocketbooks, beautiful purses ruined, gum all the way melted in the car, in my car, the the rug. I mean, it was mortifying. And I had gum everywhere. I would go to Walgreens if I had two packs left and it was approaching maybe five o'clock, go to Walgreens, spend $20. So it's, it's, it sucks to be a prisoner of, of this disease and getting my crutches. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you for sharing, Kelly G. Laura L. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, good morning, Laura. Good morning. My name's Laura L. and I'm a compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. Um, thank you, everyone, for sharing on this topic. Um, I can definitely relate to the part in the big book where Bill is talking, where he uses the word bleak, um, um, and he's at the end of his rope here. Um, I know for myself, um, you know, hitting that, that turning point where eating is awful and not eating is awful, and that's what this, this reminds me of in this story. And when food do, started to do more to me than for me, um, and actually eating against my own will. So when I hear people share in a way that you, know, you can't recover, well, you actually could recover against your own will. If I could eat against my own will, I could recover against my own will. And I heard God many times. I heard your voices many times. I heard many, don't do it. Don't pick up the first bite. And every single time, there I am trying to recapture a moment that was over. And I know they talk about that in the next paragraph. But it's, I'm like, it's like me in the high school gym. The lights are out nobody's there. It's over. You know, I'm just standing there waiting, you know, and it, it's just never happened for me. Once food started to do more for me than to me, I was done. I was done. And, and, and every single time I think of like what it says in the big book for the heart eater, the problem ends when you put down the drink, but for the real compulsive or reader, the problem begins when I put down that, that, that food, the problem begins, the real problem, the problem itself, and it is awful when eating. You know, when not eating is awful, that is why it's because of the bondage itself. At least for me, you know. And I learned in this program, you know, taking that first bite is like wrestling with a gorilla. You know, I don't say it's over to the gorilla says it's over, but I think I'm gonna say when it's over. I think I'm gonna say it's over in two days. I'm gonna stop in two days, three days, a week, and then four years later, I'm in a relapse that I can't get out of, and I'm back in you know the psychiatric ward. You know, because I have those strange mental blank spots, you know, and that delusion that someday I'm going to get, you know, I drank when I didn't, I, I would swear it off. I was not going to eat again, you know, and, and I would, and I didn't know why I did. I didn't want to do it. And I didn't know what, you know, how I got there, but there were so many times that that happened to me. And OA asks us to give up two things that we love the most. Number one is the food. And number two is the self-will. <laughs> and that for me has been the hardest thing. Um, and I have to be real clear, you know, food has drove me in here but it is self that has defeated me. And that is what the big book teaches us. That's what it tells me. It says that OA meetings will not treat food addiction. They're great. They help. They're where we go talk about the solution, but the 12 steps of OA will treat my food addiction. And that is what it's worked for me. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, I heard that a man talk about that this is the 12 steps are a war of attrition. It's a series of small battles that you use to defeat the opponent back in the war days. You slowly try to wear down your opponent and shoot grenades and bows and arrows and all that. But the 12 steps is a series of small battles that we use to try to defeat the opponent and the opponent itself. 
And that's what it is. It, 12 steps aren't some flowery thing up on a wall. There's something, it's a spiritual battle. Either you're going to do the battles or not, or I'm going to eat again. And thank God for this program that I have people to tell me about myself and to tell me, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to play volleyball. You know, I'm going to pass the ball to you. You're going to play or not. Because a lot of people like to talk about playing volleyball. A lot of people like to say how great it is to watch you play volleyball, but they never play the game. So I'm so grateful that you guys have all asked me to play the darn game and stop talking about it. And willingness is not pretty. It is not a delightful thing. Willingness is the ability to do something I absolutely hate doing, but doing it anyway, like weighing and measuring and calling in my food and sponsoring people and doing all that stuff. And you guys have taught me that I can do that. I can go against myself just like I ate against my own will. I ate when I did not want to, when I had no choice, when the, when the food chose me and I could not stop. I can recover against my own will. So thank you very much. Thank you, Laura L. Anita J. Thank you. Thank you very much. And all of you who have shared, all of your service. I'm Anita Jay, uh, recovered out in Massachusetts. Um, this paragraph, you know, I've been in for decades. And um, this paragraph I often pondered through the years. But I never totally realized. That was, those are the days when I used to try to identify out, not in. And I never had stuff all over the house. I only had short-term hiding, gently on top of the garbage, um, or um, in some like the the uh, the uh, towel drawer. It's very short-term. But the reason, you see, here's the reason. The reason I didn't have anything hidden through the house is. The person I had to keep it hidden from was Anita. If I knew something were at the foot of my bed or the top of my bed or over there or here, I couldn't live. I was obsessed. I, you know, I knew every nook and cranny. How am I going to hide it from me? That, that was the thing. And, um, you know, I live in an area where I had easy access. I could hop in the car. Those were the days when I think I gave up my car this year. Thank God I recovered. And um, anyway, the point is I I was my own worst enemy. I was the one I had to keep things hidden from. And I couldn't. There was only one way, and that wasn't through hiding this or hiding that. It's that I had to walk through it all. And the 12 steps was the only way. I couldn't walk this alone. It was so scary. And um, funny how dark it is before the dawn. Because as it said, it's coming up. It's coming up. And um, it's just a wonderful way to live. And um, I don't have to hide things from myself anymore. Nothing to be afraid of. And... um, I don't need to be afraid. That's the other thing is that this place, because of COVID, I have to order my foods. And um, for some days, I have to have it delivered. And I remember one day when instead of a salad, I got this some kind of a creamy cake. And in fact, I got two servings of it. You think I could have dealt with this? There's just no way. This is now like cardboard. Thank you, God. As long as I keep spiritually fit, as we know, further on. But there's a gift here. There's a gift 
but with closed hands, I can't receive it. I have to surrender, you know, arms, right. arms out to to receive the gift, not some bloody old cake. With that, I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Nancy P. Hi, Nancy P. Calling from West Newton, Massachusetts. I'm just going to start my timer here. Um, so yeah, um, I wasn't a big hider in the house growing up because it wasn't my house. And by the time it was my house, um, it was my house. So I didn't have to hide. But I, um, you know, when my kids were growing up, they're now 18 and 20. I baked three times a week and was proud of it, you know, and always I used to say, I believe in cookies for lunch. You know, I believe in, you know, dessert. You know, I, I want my kids to have that, you know, because I make them small and I cut my cake thin and, you know, I cut it thin, slivering it to death myself. And, um, you know, so that's sort of the background. And, um, you know, when I, in the end, when I was in such pain, I used to... Um, think, do I have enough? You know, I'd go to the grocery store and I'd buy a bunch of binge food and I'd think, okay, I have enough to get me through lunch or I have enough to get me through this amount of time like that. And, you know, at the very end, when I was sitting in my car sobbing, having just eaten a dozen donuts with that, you know, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair found in that bitter morass of self-pity, quicksand stretched around me, like that was where I was. I wasn't, you know, what the quicksand was, was abstinence. Like to me, that I knew that just stopping wasn't going to be enough. And, and so, you know, I don't like the word abstinence. And I've said that to a lot of people. A lot of people know that I feel that way because I think that people think of it as the goal and that only if I can stop. And, for, and I knew this is the problem with having so much experience in OA. For me, that was what the problem was, is that it, it was tricky. It was like a trick of light, you know, like it seems like stopping is what you want to do. And yeah, you, you can't get anywhere else, but that's like, that is not the end. That's the beginning. And um, I was so desperate for some sort of relief from my obsession of the mind, um, which was so much more painful than the allergy, the, than the need, you know, the, 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 the you know, the, the being, having a Jones to eat. Um, you know, that was the, my mind was so much more painful to live with that. Like, do I have enough? Can I get enough? Can I, what, you know, what, you know, eat, 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 or, you know, think, think, think. That's all that I was doing. And, um, you know, I, you know, I was just trapped in that. And, you know, that particular day was, was the worst day. That was my, I suppose that was the bottom, but like others have said, there's plenty more where that came from. So, you know, I desperately needed not to stop. I needed to get, I needed to get relief and abstinence was like another desert that I had to cross. It seemed like a desert because I knew that I had been there before, right? I had had periods of time where my body would be an acceptable size and then something would happen. I'll wrap up or nothing would happen and I would pick up. But when I surrendered, big surprise there, when I surrendered, you know, then I got better. And so um, surrender, surrender, surrender. Nothing new from me. Okay, I'll pass with that. Thank you, Nancy P. Uh, Pam S., you're next. And Pam S. and Julie A., I'm going to have you each take two and a half minutes instead of three so we can finish up. 
Pam S. Go right ahead. Hi, thank you for your service. This is Pam S. First time ever sharing. I am so grateful um, for this big book and for a vision for you. Um, it really touches my heart, got me abstinent. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I can so relate and identify, especially identify with Bill in this paragraph. Um, I talked about he had enough gin concealed around the house to carry him through that night. And the next day, uh, I had my food to take me through. I sleep in a lift chair. Um, and next to my lift chair, I have this crate with all kinds of books. And I would always have my food there, my carbs, my sugar, my flour, my wheat, whatever I needed. I would have that there at night. I would talk about the progression of the disease. I would eat it so I could pass out, so I could sleep. And that's what I would do every night. I couldn't. It's like I couldn't sleep if I didn't have that stuff. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I woke up with food still in my mouth, crackers still in my mouth, peanuts, whatever it was, still in my mouth. I could have choked to death. I would hide it behind my box that I had next to my chair. And I used to get so mad because a lot of times my husband would find it the next day and then take it back out into the kitchen, you know, the bag or the box or whatever it was. So the progression of the disease, you know, I lived in this disease a long time, came in years ago, left program, relapsed, stayed out, came back in, back and forth. Um, I'm not going anywhere today, one day at a time. I'm staying here. I'm so grateful for a vision for you. I'm so grateful for Bill W. and Bob and Abby and for everybody that came before me. I'm so grateful. The people that are here now and the people that will come after. Um, this is a disease of... I was so hopeless until I found... came back again to OA, and my sponsor took me back, and I'm so grateful, my original sponsor from 27 years ago, um, so I can so identify with everything he says here, mm. you know, and especially about do I dare hide it by the head of my bed, that's where I had it, that's where I had it at, behind my box, so I'm really grateful, um, and this shows the progression of the disease, and there's so much hope in OA, it's given me my life back. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Pam S. Where are you from, Pam S., if you're still unmuted? Maybe not. Okay. Julie A. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning, Julie. Hi. Good morning. Uh, very grateful to be here this morning. Very grateful for a vision for you. Um, you know, the bottom could always get lower, and that's so, so true. Um, I have been compulsive eater my whole life, and only the last 11 years, not only, uh, the last 11 years um, have I been in and out of OA um, struggling, uh, just, you know, really the first several years was truly coming to the belief 
<clears throat> and acceptance that I do have this disease. It's not that I just enjoy eating, that I'm Italian, that I grew up with good food and all that stuff. Um, but it, it truly is a spiritual sickness. Um, my bottom, my lowest bottom thus far has been, you know, it wasn't my highest weight. It was when, goodbye, honey, have a good day. Sorry, my daughter's going to school. Um, <clears throat> and um, I, um, <laughs> the food just was not doing anything for me anymore, um, except making me sicker, um, more depressed, more isolated, and uh, not necessarily suicidal, but not wanting to live. When I am in the food, I don't want to live, and that's where my progression has gone to. Um, and it was not like that years ago. It was still a diet. And um, so I'm just really grateful to understand today that it's about my emotions. It's about my spiritual condition. It's about my relationship with God. It's about the steps. It's about working with others. That's what I need to do. Um, because I do, I, I have a hole that can only be filled really by, by God. And um, so I'm working on it and I'm grateful to be abstinent. And uh, thank you so much for the meeting and all the great shares. Thank you, Julie A. Thank you everyone for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The share ID number for this meeting, Tuesday, September 29th, 2020, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 15,447. That's 15447. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Nancy P. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Sure. Nancy P. calling from West Newton, Massachusetts, uh, recovered. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.